All right, well, we're there in uh, James chapter number four, and uh, this chapter of James is uh, dealing with the subject of conflict, and it deals with us having conflict with other men and other uh, human beings, and it deals with us having conflict with God. And uh, this tonight, we're going to look at this idea of conflicts with men and fightings with other men. The next time we're in James, we'll deal with the idea of the uh, conflicts with God, and that's mainly verses 4 through 10. So we're not going to really look at those verses tonight. We'll look at that the next time we're in James. But if you look at verse 1 of James chapter 4, James begins by asking a question. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? He basically says, what causes conflicts? What causes fights? And this is very practical uh, for us because there is not one of us who goes their entire lives without uh, fighting with someone. In fact, there's not one of us that probably goes an entire week without fighting with someone. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. It may be a a co-worker or a neighbor or a a sibling. There's someone uh, that in your life that we have conflicts with and fights with. And it may be grown children. It may be adult children or children still living in your home. And James, he asks this question. He says, what causes conflict? He He says, where do they come from? That word whence means from where do they come? He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And then he answers the question. If you look at verse one again, he says, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? He says, the war, because see, we would, we would think that the answer to that question from whence comes wars and fightings among you would be multiple answers. We would say, well, well, those, I mean, they come from all sorts of different places, and usually it's from someone else. You know, why are you fighting with your spouse? Well, it's his fault or it's her fault. Why are you fighting with your kids? Well, if they would just do what they were supposed to do, or why are you fighting with a neighbor or a coworker? Well, you know, if they didn't, you know, do these things that upset me, we wouldn't be fighting right now. But James said, The answer is actually just a very simple answer. He says, all wars and all fightings, they all come from the same place, from your lust, that war in your members. He says, the reason that we have wars and fightings among us is because of our lust. Now, I want to show you in verse number two, and, and we've looked at this you know, in the book of James already, but I just want to remind you, the word lust in Scripture, when we think of the word lust, we usually think of, uh, you know, like a physical relationship type thing. Uh, And that's definitely one of the definitions that God, that the Bible has for the word lust. But the word lust in Scripture is often used interchangeably with this word, desire. In fact, if you look at verse 2, you'll see that it's done there. He says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have. So there he defines lust as us having a desire for something. The Bible uses the word lust interchangeably with desire. It also uses the word lust interchangeably with the word covet, which the word covet means to want something that doesn't belong to you. And let me just show you a couple of verses just to uh, prove the point. We've already seen this if you've been with us in the book of James, but let's look at it again together. Go with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 78, and look at verse number 18. When you get to Psalm 78, 
put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave Psalms and we're going to come back, not to Psalms, but to Proverbs, which is the next book over. Uh, so I want you to just be, have that handy so we can do it quickly tonight. Psalm 78, and look at verse number 18. Psalm 78 and verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. And they tempted God. We, we saw these verses, uh, you may remember, three or four weeks ago in the book of James. Uh, but notice what it says. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat. The word meat in the Bible means food. They were asking for food. Notice, for their lust. So they were told that they were lusting, they were desiring Food. It says that they asked for me for their lust. Skip down to verse 29. Same uh, Psalm 78 there, but go down to verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. So they did eat, because God provided the, the, the meat that they were desiring. So they did eat and were well filled to have, uh, for he gave them their own desire. Do you see that? Now in verse 18 it says that they were, uh, what they had was lust. And here he tells us that he gave them their own desire. Look at verse 30. They were not uh, estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, and it goes on to talk about it, but I want you to notice, you see how in verse 18 he says lust, in verse 29 he says desire, in verse 20, uh, 30 he says uh, lust again, so he's using this word desire uh, interchangeably with the word lust. Go to Romans chapter number 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans uh, chapter number 7, look at verse number 7, and keep your finger or something there in Psalms, so we're going to come back to it in, in a minute uh, to Proverbs, but go to Romans chapter number 7, and let me show you where he uses the uh, phrase lust and covet interchangeably, the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, Romans chapter number 7, and in verse 7 he says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, he says, I had not known sin, but by the law. And he gives an example. He says, for I had not known lust. He said, I would not have known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So here's what Paul said. He said, the reason I know what lust is, is because the law says, thou shalt not covet. So he's telling us that coveting or desiring something that doesn't belong to us is the same as lust. So you got to understand this word lust. Yes, sometimes it's desiring a physical, you know, to physical physical appetite or a physical relationship, but the word is used to just define the word desire or covet. It's that I want something that I do not have. Now go back to James chapter 4, and I want you to look at verse number uh, 1 again. James chapter 4, and look at verse 1. He says, from whence, from where come wars and fightings among you? He says, come they not hence even of your desires? Of the things you covet, of your lust, that war in your members. The word member is a reference to body parts. That's what the, the word member means in the Bible here. He says, you have lust inside of your body. He said, you have desire inside of your body. He said, you have things you covet for that inside are things you want. And he said, from there is where the, lust, the, the conflicts and wars come from. Now, you may ask, well, why would lust you know, or desire or coveting cause me to have conflicts with other individuals? Why would it cause me to want to fight with other individuals? Look at verse 2. He says, ye lust. He says, you desire. He says, you covet. Now, here's the reason that, that the conflicts come. And here's the reason that every war that's ever been fought in this world, that every conflict, every fight, every battle, every argument you've ever had is, comes down to this verse right here. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And here's what he's saying. 
Every time anyone has ever warred or argued or fought or got mad or got upset or started yelling, started, you know, arguing with their spouse, arguing with their kids, arguing. Every single time it comes down to this. You have something that I want. Or you are not doing something that I want you to do. There is a desire inside of me. There is a lust inside of me. There is a covetousness. There is something that I want that I'm not getting. And, I mean, you can see this as, as young as a, a baby. If you watch a baby get upset and get mad, why do they usually get mad? Because there's something they want that they're not getting that they really feel they need right now. And maybe their sibling has it, or maybe they're not allowed to play with it. And here's what James is saying. Every time we fight, every time we argue, it comes down to this. It's because I want something that I'm not getting. I want something from you that I'm not getting from you. And because of that, we conflict, and we war, and we fight, and we get upset. Notice what he says, verse 2. Ye lust and have not. He says that's the problem. You want something you cannot get. Ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. You desire something you cannot have. He says, yet you have not. See, when we want something and do not get it, we have the potential to fight and war. We have the potential to get upset and get mad. To the place where we would be even willing to kill. Notice what he says, verse 2. Ye lust and have not. I want you to cue in on these two words. Ye kill and desire to have. And cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You say, well, Pastor, remember, I've never killed anybody. Okay, but here's what you got to understand. James is speaking to believers. He's speaking to Christians. Now, what he's saying applies to nations. Every war that's ever been fought is because somebody wanted something they did not have. They wanted something that someone else had, and they went to war. But he's, he, he's using, you know, uh, metaphors here. He's, he's using these words to kind of help us understand things. But here's, he says, you kill. You say, are you talking about killing literally? Well, do you remember when we started the book of James, I told you that James is kind of a throwback to the Sermon on the Mount. And we've seen as we've been traveling through the book of James, I've been highlighting for you where James takes teachings from the Sermon on the Mount and applies them um, in his book. Let me give you another example of that. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. Because he says, you kill people. He says, you fight and you war and you argue and you get upset and you kill. And he says, and it's kind of a throwback to a teaching that Christ gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse number 21. I know you're familiar with this, Matthew 5, 21. The Bible says this, ye have heard, there's the Lord speaking, Matthew 5, 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not, what? Kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is, here's our key word, angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now here's what Jesus just did. And he did it in, other, you know, in Matthew 5, 28. He says, you know, you've been told to not commit adultery. He says, but if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And he equates, you know, looking at a woman to lust after her as committing adultery. And here he says, maybe you've never physically killed anyone. But he says, if you're ever angry with your brother without a cause. He says, it's like you've, it's like, he's saying, it's not, it's, he's equating them as saying, they're, they're not the same, but they're, you're going out on the same road. It's the same idea. He says, it's just like looking at a woman and lusting after her. Maybe you didn't physically perform the adultery, but you've already done it in your heart. He says, when you're angry with your brother, when you're wrathful, when you're fighting, when you're warring, maybe you haven't physically killed them, but you've already done it in your heart. And here's what we do when we get wrathful. 
We kill relationships. Can you get back to Proverbs chapter? Go, go to Proverbs 27. Remember I told you to keep replacing Psalms? Go back to Proverbs. Because here's what happens when we get mad. And here's what happens when we get upset. We say things that we would not normally say. And later on, we have to apologize and say, well, I didn't mean that. I was just so mad. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. I was just so upset. Now, I, I didn't mean that. It's just in the heat of the battle. We were fighting, and I said things, and I regret saying that, and I'm sorry. But here's what you got to understand, okay? When we're upset, when we're in conflict, when we are fighting, when we are warring, we get in this mode where we want to hurt and maybe even kill someone. And we say things when we're mad to hurt the person we're fighting with because we want to kill them. At least in our heart we do. We want to hurt them. Look, are you there in Proverbs 27? Look at verse 4. Wrath. The word wrath means anger. Wrath is cruel. Now look, normally I'm not cruel. Normally you're not cruel. Normally you're nice and I'm nice and we're kind and we're merciful. But when we get in this phase and this idea of wrath, we lose control because wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. You say, what I didn't mean to say, I mean, that was so outrageous. That was, that was so absurd that I said, I was just mad. I didn't mean that. But here's what you were doing. You were using your words as a weapon to kill, to hurt. And some of you may kill a relationship with a child or with a spouse or with a friend because of the lusts inside of us that want to get something that we do not have from someone. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Go to Proverbs 16, look at verse 14. Proverbs 16, look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 14. Proverbs 16 and verse 14, the Bible says, The wrath of a king is a messenger of, don't miss this, death. He said, don't get the king mad. You might as well just have a messenger that's going to kill you. The wrath of a king is a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Go to Proverbs 15, look at verse 18. Proverbs 15, verse number 18. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A wrathful man stirreth up what? Strife. But he that is slow to anger appeaseth what? Strife. Look at verse 1, same chapter, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Now notice the connections here. But grievous words stir up what? Anger. Because when we get angry, our tongue gets loose. When we get angry, we start saying things that we not normally would say. You would normally stop yourself. You would say, I'm not going to say that because I don't want to hurt my child, because I don't want to hurt my wife, because I don't want to hurt my husband, because I don't want to hurt my friend here, the relationship, my, my sibling. I don't want to say this because I know it will be hurtful, because I know in that area is where they struggle. I know that's kind of their button, and, but I'm going to say it now. Why? Because I'm mad, because I'm warring, because I'm upset, because I have something I desire that I'm not getting from you. And I'm mad. And I want to hurt you. Look at Proverbs 12. Look at verse 18. Proverbs 12. Look at verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18. The Bible says this. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. We saw this in the tongue sermon. And this is kind of like the tongue sermon part two, I guess. But it's just what James teaches. Notice what he says. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Sometimes our words are like a sword that pierces people. But the tongue 
of the wise is health. See, your, your word can either hurt someone or it can help someone. It can wound them or it can bring health. Go, go back to, uh, keep, keep your finger in Proverbs or something in Proverbs. Go back to James, but go to chapter 1. We've seen this verse already, but I want to just show it to you one more time because I think it will make complete sense. James 1.19. James 1.19, we looked at, there's three things that, are, that were told in James 1.19. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And we've talked about those in the Sermon on the Tongue when we're in chapter 3. But there's also this phrase, slow to wrath. And you may have thought before, well, what, what does that have to do with speaking? But here's what it has to do with speaking. When we are in wrath, we are swift to speak. We are swift to say things that we're going to regret. We are swift to be cruel. We are swift to want to hurt and kill and abuse and be mean and nasty. And here's what you understand. It can kill a relationship. It can destroy a marriage. And here's the problem. The problem is this. I want what I want. And I've wanted what I've wanted since I was a baby, and we never really grew out of that. See, when we argue, we can be so mean that we kill relationships with others through anger. In an argument, we could stop, and we could, you know keep from having a lot of damage if we realize that the reason we are fighting, the reason I'm angry, the reason I'm mad is because I want something from you that I'm not getting. And we rationalize these things and we, and, and we, and we say, well, it's for their own good. I mean, I just, I want them to, you know, be home at this time and it's for their own good. And it may be for their own good, but I'm mad right now because I wanted something from you. I expect some. Well, pastor, I expect him to keep his vows. Or she promised that she would do that. And she, they said that they were going to be there and they said that they wouldn't do that. And, and then they ended up lying and they were hypocrites. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's I wanted something from you that I'm not getting. You said you were going to, and you made a promise, and you made a vow, and you ought to keep all those promises, and you should keep all those vows. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm mad, and the reason I'm upset, and the reason that we're fighting, and arguing, and warring, and the reason for every fight, and every war, is because I'm not getting something that I want from you. And James says, look, if you would just stop to realize, the reason I'm so mad right now, is because you're not giving me something or you are giving me something that I don't want or you're not giving me something that I do want. And that's why I'm so mad. Now, here's, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is this. The moment that you decide that your happiness, happiness hinges on your spouse or your children or your job or your boss or your neighbor or your mom, or your dad, or whatever it is, the moment you decide, I will be happy when they do this, when my brother finally does what he said he was going to do, or when my sister finally says what she said she was going to do, or when, when this relationship, when they do this, or they do that, as soon as I decide I will not be happy until they, then I put them in control of my contentment. See, Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul said, my contentment and my happiness is not dependent on what you do or what you don't do or where you come through or where you don't come through. But James says this. He says, the reason you get mad is because I want something from you. And I've allowed you to decide my happiness. And if you don't do it, and if you don't come through, and if you don't give me what I want, then we're just going to fight. 
and I'm just going to kill you. Not literally, hopefully, but with my words, with my thoughts, in my heart. Now, here's the problem, and here's the insight that James gives us. Look at verse 2 again. He says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. We usually use this verse to talk about prayer, and I definitely believe that's an incredible application, and I, I use that verse for prayer, and that's a good verse for prayer. But the application that James is making is this. He says, you're upset because your husband or your wife or your child will not give you what you want from them, or they're giving you something you don't want from them. And that's why you're so upset. You're asking them, will you please just do this? Will you please just get a job? Or will you please just, you know, whatever it is that you're so upset about. And here's what James says. You're asking someone to do something for you that they cannot do. See, you say, well, no, it's, it's just if he got a job, I'd be happy. But here's the thing. As soon as he gets a job, you'll just want him to do something else and you'll be unhappy. Or as soon as they stop doing whatever they were supposed to stop doing, or as soon as they, you know, start listening, or as soon as they take your advice or they don't take your advice. But here's what you understand. You are expecting someone to make you happy, and they can't. You're asking them to do something that they are not capable of. Here's what, what James would say. He says, you, you lust and you desire. He said, you, you want to obtain. He said, you have not, because you're asking the wrong person. Because you're asking your wife, to do something for you that she cannot do. And you're asking your husband to do something for you that they cannot do. You're asking your job and your career and your boss to do something for you and to provide a fulfillment that they cannot do, that only God can do. And he says, you have not, because you ask not. He says, only God can give you what you want, but you don't ask God. You ask the people around you that you get mad at, you get upset at. And then the problem is this, when we do ask God, verse 3, notice what he says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. The word amiss means it's inappropriate or out of place. He said, he said, he said you, you have not because you ask not. He said, you're asking the wrong person. If you'd ask God to fulfill your needs, if you'd ask God to fill you with, fruit, with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper. He said, God can do those things. God can give you peace and joy and contentment and happiness. A person cannot do that for you. You're asking someone to do something for you that they do not have the ability to do. But God can. And he says, and when you finally do ask God, you ask the wrong way. You ask amiss. You ask inappropriately. You ask out of place because you ask that you may consume it upon your lust. Comes back to our desires. Comes back to our covetousness. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed for someone with no selfish intention? See, we often, you say, well, you know, we pray for others. Well, our prayers go something like this. Lord, will you just help him get a job so that he'd finally start providing for me? Lord, will you just help my boss finally just realize that how great of an employee I am and stop giving the race to somebody else? And, and we ask for others, but really it's a selfish thing. Lord, will you just help them to just realize, will you just help my adult child to just realize that, that I'm trying to help them and I'm trying to give them advice and I don't understand why they're not listening to me? And it's really just a asking amiss. It's really to fulfill my own lust because here's why I'm upset. I want something from you that you're not able to give me. Only God can give it to me. So the next time you're fighting, the next time you're warring, the next time you're upset with someone, just realize 
they don't have what you need. See, the next time you get all mad at your husband, next time you get mad at your wife or your kids, just realize, I'm asking this child to fulfill a void in me that only God can fulfill. I'm so upset right now because I told them not to do that, and then they did it. And not only did they do it, they did it in front of church people. And they're doing something that I don't want them to do. But see, here's what I'm asking this child to do, is to create a happiness and a joy and a contentment inside of me that only God can do. And I'm asking them to do something they can't do. Until I realize that the desires that I have cannot be fulfilled by my children, cannot be fulfilled by my job, cannot be fulfilled by my spouse. I will fight and war, and I will kill, and I will wound, and I will get upset. Because every fight and every war that's ever been fought comes from a desire that is not fulfilled, according to James. See, when you realize that they don't have to give you what you want from them, then you may just stop asking from them to give you the fulfillment you want. Go to verse number 11. We're going to skip verses uh, 4 through 10 because those deal with our relationship with God, and we'll get that next time. But I want you to notice verse 11. Verse 11 and verse 12 are kind of interesting verses in the book of James, and I think that we'll be able to shed a little bit of light on them, and hopefully it'll make sense. Verse 11 says, says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh the evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Now, it sounds if you just casually read this verse that God's telling you not to judge, okay? Keep your finger there in, in James. Go with me just real quickly to John chapter number 7. John chapter number 7. Look at verse number 24. And it, it, it almost sounds like God is not telling you to judge. But that's not exactly what God is teaching here. Go to John chapter number 7. And let me just show you a couple of verses on this idea of judging. In John chapter 7, verse 24, the Bible says this. Judge not according to the appearance. He says we're not supposed to judge people based on the way they look. He says judge not according to the appearance. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, but judge righteous judgment. So he tells us that we are to judge. There isn't such thing as righteous judgment, which is something that we are supposed to do. So to say that James is teaching to never judge someone would be contradicting the statement of John chapter 7 when Jesus said, hey, judge not according to the appearance, but make sure you judge righteous judgment. He's saying, I want you to judge. I just want you to do it the right way. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is another chapter that likes to get abused with the subject of judging, and let's look at it real quickly. Matthew chapter 7, every liberal in the world has uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 memorized, judge not that ye be not judged. Say, see, we're not supposed to judge. But remember, God's not against judging. He's against the wrong type of judging. Look at verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. He's saying, hey, just remember that whatever you lay down as the law, that same law is going to be used upon you. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? See, what Jesus is speaking against is hypocritical judgment. Where I'm judging you for a mote in your eye, for a, a, a small piece of debris in your eye, while I've got a two-by-four coming out of my eye, while I've got a beam coming out of my eye. Look at verse 4. Or wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine, in, in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. Now notice what he says. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, uh, uh, 
And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Now notice, he's not against you casting the moat out of your brother's eye. He just wants you to take care of the beam first in your own eye. Does that make sense? He's not against judging. He's against judging hypocritically. He's against looking at fault in someone else while not dealing with the sin and the problems in your own life. And of course, he teaches us in John chapter 7 to not judge according to the appearance, but to judge righteous judgment. Go go back to James chapter 4, and let me show you verse 11 dealing with this idea of conflict and what he's talking about. Notice what he says. The, 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 The phrase he begins with is key. He says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother... And judge of this brother. Notice what he says. If you judge a brother and you're speaking evil, you're speaking bad. The word evil means to hurt. You're speaking in a way that would hurt your brother. You're hurtful in your words. He says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. Notice what he says. Speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. Now the law is the word of God. You say, well, how is it that speaking evil of my brother and judging my brother is speaking evil of the law and judging the law? Because notice what he says. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here's what he's saying. If you are judging the law, if you're judging your brother, speaking evil, you're putting yourself in a position of the law. And what you're doing is you're judging the law and, and, and uh, you know, because he says you're not a doer of the law. And that's a theme that's found throughout the book of James, especially chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, being a doer of the law. But notice what he says, but a judge. Now notice what he says, verse 12. He says, there is one lawgiver, and it's not you. There's one person, there's one individual who gives us the law, and it's not me. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Here's what he's saying. The one who gives the law is the one who's able to save, the one who's able to destroy. That's not me. I can't save your soul. I can't destroy your soul. I'm not the lawgiver. I cannot judge the law. He says, who art thou that judges another? Here's what he's saying. When I acknowledge that you are not my God, When I acknowledge that my wife cannot fulfill the needs that I have, that only God can. And that my wife is trying the best, or your husband is trying their best, or your children are trying their best, or your in-laws are trying their best, but they cannot bring happiness to your heart, fulfillment to your heart, contentment to your heart. Only God can do that. When I realize that you, our church people, cannot fulfill my needs as a pastor, you are not my God, then I also realize this, that I'm not your God. And I'm not to judge you as if I am God. Because there's one lawgiver. And he's the one that can save and that can destroy. And he's the one that gave the law. Now here's what you understand. He's not saying not to judge. Because there are times when we are to judge others. When we are in a position of authority, it is my job to judge those that I am put under authority. A boss should judge their employees. A mother should judge her children. A a, a husband should judge uh, his wife. When you are in a position of authority, you should judge. But notice, when you judge, you should not speak evil. You should not speak in a hurtful way. You should not get mad and wrathful when I judge. Because when I'm mad, I am mad because I think I deserve something I'm not getting. But when I realize I'm not your God, you can't give me what I need and I can't give you what you need. Then all of a sudden, I'm, when I have to judge you, it's done in the right spirit and it's done in the right attitude because guess what? At the end of the day, you'll stand before God and answer for what you've done. And I'll answer for what I did. And I'm not God. 
So I'm not going to speak evil of you. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to talk behind your back. I'm not going to try to hurt you with my words. I'm not going to gossip and get on Facebook and say all mean things about you because you said this and you did that. Because here's the thing. I am not your God. And you're not my God. Now, should I judge you? When it's appropriate, I should. But it should always be done in the right spirit. It should always be done in the right manner. Because you cannot fulfill for me what I need fulfilled. Only God can. And whenever you're fighting, whenever you're upset, whenever you get mad at your kids, because here's the difference. I can tell my kids, you're supposed to do this, and they don't do it. And then I realize, God has put me in a position of authority on your life. You have broken the law of God, son or daughter. You've sinned against God. And as my position is, I love you, but I must correct you. I must judge you. And the right attitude, because you sinned against God. But as soon as I get mad and start yelling, all of a sudden I'm God. Because I want something I'm not getting. And that's the difference. Say, well, should we never deal with sin? Sometimes you need to deal with sins in marriage. Should we never deal with sins with our children? Should we never correct church people when they live in outright sin and we have to discipline them and all those things? Sometimes, hey, the Bible gives us all those things and Paul says we should judge. But it should always, always, always be done in the right attitude because as soon as I get mad, I speak evil of the law because now all of a sudden it's like if you're sinning against me and I'm not your God and you're not my God. And I can't fulfill your needs and you can't fulfill my needs. And if we would just ask the right person, God, there would be no wars. There would be no fightings. There would be no killing. Can you get back to Proverbs? We'll look at one verse. We're done. Proverbs 19. This does not mean that we do not correct sin. Sin needs to be corrected. But from whence comes wars and fightings among you? They come from your lust, from your desires. We were having lunch uh, yesterday, and uh, Brother, Brother Daryl and Brother Caleb, were, were at, they asked me a question, and they, their question had to do with, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you care? You know, do you, do you care if people do the things that you preach? And I said, well, I, I preach, obviously, because I want people to do the things that we're preaching. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, I don't get, if, if, if I preach a sermon on, how you should dress or what you should look at or what you should not look at. Look, at the, if you look at me and say, Pastor Menace, I appreciate the sermon. I don't agree with anything you said and I'm not going to do it. Guess what? That should not anger me because I'm not your God. I didn't write that. Now, in a, as a figure of authority here, I'm going to preach what I believe should be preached. And, but see, what you do with it doesn't affect me. You know why? Because God is the one that gave the law. Does that, do you understand what I'm saying? And when we get mad and we get upset, and I just can't believe that that person would do this. The question you've got to ask yourself is, why are you so upset? Well, I just, I need them to. And see, you've now put yourself in a place of God, because I don't need you to do anything. Remember when they rejected Samuel? God said, hey, they didn't reject you, Samuel, they rejected me. And when comes wars and fightings from our lusts, from our desires, from our covetousness, from our appetites? Go to Proverbs 19. Look at verse 11. We're done right here. Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 11. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, verse 11. The Bible says this. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Say, Pastor, Pastor, you know, Pastor Menes came over and he saw me doing something I shouldn't have done. You know what? I'm not your God. And the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. 
To the point where I, you can just pass over a transgression. You can say, well, that's between you and God. That's not between you and me. I'm not your God. And you're not my God. And I can't fulfill your desires and you can't fulfill my desires because from whence come wars and fightings among you. They come from unfulfilled desires because I want something from you that I'm not getting. And I should be looking at God. Because God is the only one that can fulfill my needs. And God is the only one that you can fulfill your needs. And you will, you will stop arguing in your marriage. You will stop fighting with your children. When you realize in the middle of a fight that, you know why we're fighting right now? Do you want to know why we're fighting right now? Because there's something I want that I'm not getting. And I should stop asking you because you can't do it. I should ask God because I have not because I ask the wrong person. Let's buy our